Welcome back to the pod, guys. It's Austin, and I got another episode for you guys. Today is February 5th. I'm a little bit late on recording, got some stuff going on. Uh, you know, my personal, professional life outside the podcast and everything. Um, you know, new position with work, uh, just, just getting busy, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to that. Um, but I want to talk this week. Um, been thinking about a lot of different things, but <clears throat> I think that right now with everything that's going on, I think the forefront in everybody's mind is, um, you know, buying firearms right now, uh, given that realistically, uh, like I said, today's the 5th of February, 2021. I think, uh, there's a realistic fear there that they were looking at a proposed firearm ban or at the very least some, some legislation that can be, uh, really, uh, constricting to the second amendment. Um, you know, this HR, I think it's one, two, seven bill, uh, I don't know the specific name, but, um, and there's a lot of stuff being spread on the internet right now about whether it actually has legs on it or not. Um, but it, you know, it would ban 50 caliber ammunition, which I don't know why you would put that out in the open or even make that part of the bill. Uh, the amount of people that actually shoot 50 cal are, it's so few and far between. Um, I really don't understand why that needs to be included, but, to that point, um, if you're going to be, you know, using a 50 caliber round, I don't, I don't understand why, you know, and I think what's dangerous about that is it opens the door to start banning other types of ammunition. Um, it's not, um, I don't know how you would classify like a rocket or an RPG. I think because it has an explosive yield, um, it's able to be classified differently, um, which obviously you can't as a civilian own right now, right? Um, but if we get to where we're starting to restrict, right, the certain types of ammunition, not just, we already have legislation that restricts, you know, uh, rifle barreling versus not rifle barreling, which is how I know some, I think Franklin army was trying to get around, uh, an SBR. Well, if the barrel doesn't have rifling, yeah, if the barrel didn't have rifling, it couldn't actually be a short barrel rifle. It would just some i don't know there's always been people trying to work you know around stuff um i think that it 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 sets a very dangerous legal precedent um with what we can and can't own i think that everything that can be done needs to be done to prevent that bill from going into effect uh because what's then next uh from what's then is stopping legislators from saying well you can't own a 308 well, I hunt with my 308. Well, you can do just as much with a 270, you know. Um, and then from there it goes to, oh, well, you can do, you know, then you can't own a 6.5 Creed more or, a, you know, whatever. I, you know, so that that's obviously the forefront of everybody's mind is stuff like that and and being um, restricted as to what we can do as gun owners. Um, but as gun owners, I've said it, you know, a dozen times before. Um, is that it's a responsibility, right? So what I want to talk about right now is, uh, you know, being that responsible gun owner in my eyes, right? Uh, and obviously this can be different for everybody and I can't tell you how you should be responsible. Uh, I know the basic safety laws of, of, of operating and owning a firearm, uh, apply to everyone universally, you know, um, be smart, (laughs) right? Don't point a loaded weapon at anything that you're not, you know, ready to, uh, to destroy. Obviously always be aware of, you know, where the weapons pointed 
all that kind of stuff, man. Secure your weapon when it's not being used, okay? Store it properly. If you have children, obviously keep it away from them and where they can't get to it. Now, I don't have children at the moment, but, you know, uh, I would like to believe that as a, if I were a parent, <clears throat> I would do my, my best to educate my children on firearms and the safety behind them. I think that any gun-owning adult will probably do the same. I know young boys are usually introduced to hunting at a young age. I think that's great. Um, I think it will help remove the mystery of the thing. Um, children are less likely, if it's a known quantity, they are less likely to go explore it and you know uh, play with it um, if they already know what it is. You know, you don't see kids typically, anyways, playing with the microwave because they know what it is. That's what heats up my macaroni and cheese. That's what you know heats up my Dino Nuggets or my hot dog or whatever. Not an issue, right? With firearms, could be very much considered the same thing. <clears throat> if you let them pull the trigger, dry fire the weapon, supervise, you explain the rules to it, you explain the seriousness of it, you take them shooting, you 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 expose them and desensitize them to this. That doesn't make them violent or predisposed to violence like people talk about. Um, it just makes you know it removes the mystery um but as a gun owner to be responsible i feel like goes beyond just practicing the safety of the actual weapon itself um after all these are designed right they are designed to kill they are weapons they are designed to kill whether it's for hunting um sport or self-defense okay which i, I kind of loop war fighting into the whole self-defense category you know in my mind there's there's two there's two uh i guess hemispheres to the gun world or the shooting world that's hunting and then there's self-defense you know or you know war fighting whatever um now obviously I, i'm not big on hunting yet it's something i'm very interested in and, and interested to explore and grow and, and learn more um, it's currently February here in Michigan, so it's quite freaking cold out and not really the time to go out hunting. Rifle season's been done for a couple months now. So talking about being responsible with your firearms, to me, goes way beyond just the safety of storage and the safety of operation. You should be not only, as a responsible gun owner, you should not only be safe, but you should be confident and competent with your with your firearm your weapon system whether it's a shotgun it's a rifle it's a pistol you know whether that's a revolver or semi-automatic okay what does that mean to be confident and competent you know uh you see it all over instagram if you follow you know uh there's so many there's so many influencers i guess is the term that you use for them on instagram uh, we have our own facebook page for the podcast you know i put up videos and images and stuff you know practicing training and people People that are not predisposed to the gun world wonder why on earth you would need to practice those kinds of skills. And this is really what I'm getting, what I'm getting at, what I'm talking about is, you know, um, reload drills, uh, malfunction drills, transition drills, whether it's transitioning from one target to the next or transitioning from one weapon system to the next and back or, <coughs> excuse me, any combination, you know, uh, of those, of those skills. Um, <clears throat> whether, you know, uh, site alignment, all this stuff. Um, what people don't understand is that it's just like practicing driving, right? You don't get good at driving just by getting your driver's license, right? You don't learn how to just park the car correctly and then you're done. 
And that's essentially the argument people make when they say you don't need to do all of this, uh, you know, quote unquote, other stuff. Um, if you don't understand how your vehicle works, you are in inherent danger, right? Same thing with your firearm. If you don't understand how it works, how to clear a malfunction, you know, you are an inherent danger to yourself, possibly your family, if you, you know, can't um, protect them with it, right? That it essentially enhances the danger uh, to those individuals because you can't maintain the weapon and, and operate it successfully. Um, so that's why we, we do those drills. Things as simple as, you know, A, practicing a draw stroke, whether that's from concealment or from a belt, right? And, and honestly, like, and I love running it from the belt. Uh, it's fun. I mean, it, it is. It's fun. It's fun to try and beat your, your score, your time, whatever you want to call it, your part time. Um, it's satisfying uh, to me anyways. You know, I love dry practicing. I really hate reload drills because I'm really not good at them yet. Um, but you start to get better at it, you start to enjoy it more, right? Why is this important? Because, you know, uh, magazines fail. You run out of ammo. Uh, and that's, I guess, really what brings in the fear, right, of people with these magazine bans and stuff. So, oh, you only need 10 rounds. You only need 10 rounds. If you need more than 10 rounds, you're a terrible shot. Well, uh, no, that's not necessarily true because there's studies, there's video evidence, there's documented encounters where people take 10 rounds and, and keep going. <clears throat> uh, also, usually more than one bad guy. I mean, usually, uh, not always, but that's the thing is why, why plan for the best case scenario? Cause best case scenario is that one round or two rounds will take down the guy. You won't miss any, Right. And that'll just be it. He won't have any friends. You don't have to worry about it. Everything's hunky-dory. That, that's not realistic, right? That's like saying, I don't need a spare tire because when I get a flat, I'll be next to a gas station. I mean, well, you don't know that. It's not realistic to think that way at all. And if you were to take that statement and, and drop that at any of your friends who are mechanics or own a used vehicle, uh, you know, they would laugh at you too and say, no, hell no. Are you kidding me? You have a spare because you don't know where you're going to break down. It's the same reason why you should make sure you can drop your spare freaking, you, you know, you have a, a roadside jack and all this stuff. Same thing. You need more rounds in your magazine because you don't know. Also, given the state of technology right now, right, firearms technology is very advanced. Um, we've got some great options out there, great weapon systems. That are, they're super reliable. Glock, SIG, M&P, CZ, Beretta, you know, companies that have done, and Ruger, whatever, companies have done this for years and years and years and, and have figured this out. That's why law enforcement chooses all these brands, right? And they'll they'll shoot everything from the, the best, most premium ammo down to the, the crappy shit. What is likely to fail is the magazine itself, right? Whether it's a jammed follower or, the you know, you keep your magazine loaded you don't shoot the gun a lot. Uh, maybe the spring wears out. I mean, there's any number of things that could happen. Um, or maybe you do have some shitty ammo. It's a failure to feed. Uh, you know, something happens or you bend the lip on the, you know, you drop the magazine when you're in the middle of reloading. And then that bends the lip uh, on the edge of the, uh, the open, the mouth of the magazine. And then it won't feed when it gets in the gun and you got to drop it and go to a new one. I mean, stuff happens, right? We don't know what's going to happen. That's the whole point. So what kills me is when people want to criticize or point out you don't need to worry on the, about those things or insert whatever you know uh, validation that they have for why what they're doing is good enough for their own well-being or why you don't need to worry about it. I mean, 
same thing with rifle magazines. Rifle magazines, honestly, in my experience, are more uh, disposed to to malfunctions than than my pistol mags. But I mean, same thing. It happens. Well, why do you need that rifle? Well, I mean, honestly, it's easier to shoot for one, which means it's probably going to be more accurate. Uh, it holds more ammunition, which means you have to reload less, which is always a good thing. And you can reach out to a further distance, which could be good for you if you live someplace where that matters. Um, but you should be able to handle all of these things interchangeably. You know, if you have a pistol on your hip and a rifle slung on your, your across your chest, you should be able to confidently and competently transition from one weapon system to the other. Now, that involves both safe, as in safe handling, competent weapon handling, you know, uh, as well as, uh, like I said, competency. Y- you need to know that when you're transitioning, you should be trying to switch the weapon to safe. Otherwise, you know, um, just, uh, just in, in general terms, like an AR rifle, it's not drop safe the way a lot of uh, striker-fired pistols are these days. So it is important that you try to switch that over to safe. That's not something that under stress, it's a fine motor skill that you're probably, if you haven't trained that, if you haven't rehearsed that methodology over and over and over and over again, you're probably not going to be able to, um, you're probably not going to be able to complete that task under, under stress, under pressure, you know, uh, in the situation where, you know, you have all kinds of lights and sounds around you and the adrenaline's going and your heart rate's up and maybe you have multi, you probably have multiple things in your mind. Oh my God, is my family okay? Who is this person? Are the police on their way? Should I pull this trigger? You know what I mean? There's a lot going on. That's why you, you, you build these, these skills, these foundational skills. That's also why it crushes me when people say, well, you don't need to, you you know, that's, you know, they want to laugh at you or they want to make, you know, people, um, and I'm speaking, from my own experiences, people outside the gun world that think that it's just ridiculous that you should practice something like this. Well, I mean, you practice anything else, right? I mean, as a, as a musician, I still practice. I still drum on a daily basis with a metronome, without a metronome. I work on all kinds of stuff all the time as a hobby because I enjoy it for one, but for two, because if you don't, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Um, so I, I do, I find it kind of comical that people are so easy to dismiss this as anything different. Driving, uh, music, writing, typing, uh, reading, math, hell, math, stuff we use in our everyday lives. It, it's all relative. Uh, I think people just want to hurry up and dismiss this because it makes them uncomfortable. And it's, and people use comedy um, or ridicule, I guess, depending on what kind of context they use as a defense mechanism because it does, it makes them uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm okay with that. If you can, if you can own that, right. If you can just say, Hey, that I don't understand why you're doing that. Tell me more. Or hey, the fact that you do that makes me uncomfortable. And honestly, that shows a lot more. And you know, in, in my opinion, that shows a lot more uh, maturity and intelligence to ask that question. You know, why do you feel that you need to do that? And and it's not a you know, and it shouldn't come from a place of belittlement or even from a place of uh, fear. You know, if you generally want to know, then I mean, ask. Most people will explain it, but. And it's, it's a simple answer. You know, I, I personally, I work on target transitions because if the, the situation were to arise, I want to know that I'd be able to process that information, right? I would be able to process, here's one target, here's the next, or here's one target, here's a friendly, you know, uh, and not being so hyper-focused on what's only directly in front of me that you miss the person that's coming from your side or, 
you know, your, your other side or behind you, you know, you're ready to transition and you can do it quickly and efficiently and effectively. You know, you can use your eyes to, to steer the weapon, so to speak. You can use your eyes to determine where you need to be pointing that weapon next, recognizing that data, right? That information, who it is, are they a threat? You know, and, and it's, we're talking like seconds here, less than seconds, right? Identifying if you should shoot and, and all those things. And it, there's a lot that goes into it because it's really easy to just sit there and say that, well, oh, well, I mean, you just shoot the bad guy. Well, it's not always that easy. If you're at home, you don't know who could be coming through that door. If you are dealing with it with an intruder, who's to say the next person through the door isn't a cop? Who's to say the next person through the door isn't your wife? Or your neighbor who's coming over because they heard the commotion and wanted to see if you were okay. Now, if it's another bad guy, fine. But more, more than likely, it's somebody coming to try and help. So, okay, if you just shoot them, reactionary, right? Under stress, we're talking about uh, these, the situation and then the environmental factors, uh, that's a problem because now you just shot somebody who's innocent. Now you're a non, you're an irresponsible gun owner. You just committed a crime. Uh, you'll probably be stripped of your <laughs> rights to, uh, own a firearm the rest of your life. Cause it's a felony. And on top of dealing with this intruder situation where you're probably going to have to go to court and you're going to have to deal with it. You know what I mean? It just, it compounds the bad things that are happening. Uh, it's, I mean, sad to say, you're probably better off if you don't want to train with a firearm. Uh, you're probably better off not owning one, and that's going to piss some people off. I can I can think of the kinds of people right now. They're going to say, "Well, you know, fuck you. I've been shooting 25 years, and I'm you know I'm 30 years old. I've been shooting since I was five, six years old. What the hell? What you know? What the f do you know? Well, I mean, I know that there's legal consequences." which technically we all do as gun owners, right? We kind of sign that paperwork when we buy a firearm. We accept those responsibilities. No no more or less different, like I said, than driving a car. You know, if you get in a car accident and kill somebody, there's going to be some consequences that go along with that action, whether you meant to or not. It's something we all live with. We don't think about it. This, again, shouldn't be any different. So as we have so many new gun owners right now, yeah, I think that it's, yeah, if you buy the gun, you 110% should be practicing with it. You should be at least thinking about what it's going to feel like to reload, especially if you carry concealed on a daily basis. And I have some friends that do. They carry concealed every day. I don't know what it would be like for them under stress to have to reload a compact carry weapon, you know, like a Glock 43, uh, MMP shield, uh you know, SIG, you know, whatever SIG, whatever compact SIG, uh, or even a full-size handgun, if you've just never done it, or do you even carry, for that matter, do you even carry a backup magazine? I'll be very honest, sometimes I don't, definitely should, sometimes I don't, sometimes I just run out the door to run to the the gas station, the drugstore, which honestly are targets of convenience, because you can run in and run out real quick, right, you see it in movies and stuff all the time, you hear about it, Liquor stores, gas stations get knocked over all the time. So truthfully, you're probably more likely to run into an incident there than you are to like, I don't know, uh, the mall or the grocery store or whatever. But yeah, I mean, uh, most people don't carry a backup magazine with them. uh, And most people don't train with that kind of thing. So stuff has got to be thought about as you're purchasing your new firearm, 
you need to think about, you know, am I, do I have extra magazines to train with? Do I have a holster that's going to be, uh, you know, conducive to a, uh, a positive experience? And when I say positive experience, I, I literally mean that A, is it going to be comfortable to carry, positive, but B, is it going to be effective for both retaining the weapon? Is it going to allow you to draw the weapon without too much of a problem? I've definitely gotten Kydex holsters before that, like, they're tighter than hell and really have to be broken in or they have to be loosened or you got to heat them up with a hair dryer and remold them a little bit to get where you need it uh you know is it going to do the things you want when you need it to do it so that's definitely a consideration and yeah practicing your draw stroke okay uh a lot of these handguns now because you don't really have the luxury i'll call it a luxury you don't really have the luxury of picking and choosing what exact uh what exact firearm that you want, right? I mean, I know a lot of us go out and we, we wait to get what we want, right? But you might get the one that doesn't come with the night sights. Maybe you just got white dot sights. Or maybe you really like blacked out rear sights and a bright, you know, high-vis front sight. And, you know, you're saving up money to, to replace the sights. Or waiting to get to your buddy's house or something because he's got the sight pusher tool. or You know, I mean, whatever reason. You know, if you're not used to that, that white dot sights suck. That's why there's such a market for aftermarket sights, especially on guns like Glocks, right? We just say that the factory sights are placeholders for when you get your real sights. You know, if you're not used to shooting with those regular iron sights or, you know, or if they're just more difficult to shoot with like Glock sights are, and I'll say that as somebody who's shot stock sights and shot aftermarket sights, you know, they're more difficult to shoot with. And a lot of people, well, then you don't train enough. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what we're talking about. But if changing out the sights give you an advantage, like visibility in the dark, like being able to acquire your alignment faster, why wouldn't you do that? You know, it's, I find that whole argument or people belittling each other over that kind of thing, you know, oh, Glocks are good to go out of the box. Glocks are good to go out of the box if you are an experienced seasoned shooter who practices a lot. Yes. Now, reliability-wise, yeah, they are good to go out of the box. You don't need to enhance them. I do agree with that statement. However, the, the gun being good to go out of the box and you being able to go with the gun out of the box is an entirely different conversation. So are you working on these things? You know, Or if you do have a rifle at home and you're buying a handgun for the first time or vice versa, yeah, you need to train with it. Picking up iron sights on a rifle is a bit different than people give it credit for and it's also something completely different when you start throwing sights red dots uh you know you can't just throw a hunting optic on your ar-15 and call it good if you're gonna hunt with it that's fine but you know your magnification choice makes a difference and it's again uh, is that going to be applicable in a defense situation are you going to know to dial down the magnification if somebody's in your home and you don't need a magnified optic you just need a one power crosshair or if you do throw a red dot on there, is it zeroed? A lot of people think, oh yeah, these sites come zeroed out of the box. It'll be fine. That's not true. I have never come across a red dot that has been zeroed out of the box. Not to mention that when you uh, put it on the rifle, whether it's directly on, I God, I hope it's not. Um, you put it on a co-witness, direct co-witness, a lower one-third. I know 1.93 inch, uh, like the higher mounts for like nods and stuff are common now too, but even just tightening down the screws and stuff on your mounts can shift your zero. That's why they, that's why so many optics now are, they're being developed, I guess, um, more and more. 
I should say, uh, where you don't have to remove it. Uh, you don't have to remove the optic to change the battery. You know, um, EOTechs, uh, Aimpoint, um, T2s, stuff like that. Um, they, you didn't need to pull the optic off of the, the mount or the weapon itself to change the batteries, right? You have a little tube that you just unscrew the cap on for the EOTechs, the new model ones, actually, like EXPS2, XPS2, XPS3, whatever. Um, if it's the older model, I'm not quite sure on those, but at least newer ones, you don't have to pull it off. You don't have to pull it off the rail or the mount. Um, the, the aim points, even the older aim points, you could change them without removing them. And that's, it helps because while your zero might shift a little bit when you do the change the battery and it resets, it'll definitely be less than if you had to re-zero your mount and everything altogether. Um, and that's honestly, that's one of the downfalls in my opinion of like the Trigicon RMR because you have to pull the whole thing off to get to the battery on the bottom side. This of course, uh, enter hollow sun who's now releasing pistol optics and rifle optics that have like a side pullout tray that you can, you can, uh, access and change the battery without having to remove the red dot from your pistol slide or your offset mount or your regular rifle mount, whatever, you know, it's stuff that needs to be considered. Um, but getting back to the point is, you know, as a first time gun owner, don't just buy it and then set it aside and yeah, I'll get to it eventually. And it sucks right now because you can't, it's hard to find ammo. It's super expensive. I've actually even heard that some ranges, uh, local to me have waiting lists to get in now because the lines are so long. And I assume that's because they actually have ammunition there. So it's tough. But what can you do? You can train on a lot of this stuff at home, right? There's a lot of skills that you can learn and refine just from, and I'm not advocating against seeking out professional assistance and professional training. I'm not. What I am saying is that if you do not have access to that, whether due to financial constraints, most of us right now it is, it's a financial constraint. Let's just call it what it is, right? We've been on lockdown. The economy kind of fucking blows for a lot of us. Uh, Unfortunately, some of you may not be working, you know, uh, so what can you, dry fire is a great solution. I love it. Obviously I have tons of videos of it on my Instagram. It's convenient. I work all day. I work a nine to, uh, well, it's more like a seven to six job right now. It feels like, but I work a lot. Right. And on my weekends, I got other stuff I need to take care of. You know, I'm a husband, I'm a homeowner. I, I'm a son, right? My mother is having some health issues right now. So I'm taking her to doctor's appointments and stuff. Okay. Cool. You know, dry fire works around your schedule a lot better than gun range hours do right now. My local range closest to me, they're only open on the weekends right now. And they close at like six or seven on Friday nights. So if I work till five or six on a Friday night, that doesn't really leave a whole lot of time for me to get my shit together, drive there and try and shoot. They, they don't even let people in the last half hour. It's basically just open if you want to use the retail store or if you're finishing up and leaving. So dry fire is great. And it's an, it's, here's the thing. I talked about this with Sam, uh, because we have a buddy who's looking at buying, uh, his first handgun. He's not a real big outdoorsy guy when it comes to hunting and shooting and stuff, but he wants a gun, which I think is great. Um, but you know, we were, we were talking about it and it's one of those things that I remember my, like, I remember my first trip to, to the range, right. With my brother. I didn't know how to load a magazine. I didn't know how to load a gun. I didn't know how to rack the slide. I knew that when you pulled the trigger, it went bang. I didn't know proper grip. I didn't know proper stance. It wasn't an overly positive experience for me. 
honestly, I'll say it was a bad experience for me. Actually, the range I went to for that, I've still, I've been there like one other time or two other times. Um, for a multitude of reasons, I won't be back. Uh, but that first one was a big part of that, right? That first experience. So I feel like, you know, when you buy your gun, spend some time playing with your gun for lack of better, better terms. Uh, look up some YouTube videos on training on dry fire drills. Given right now that we're in basically a huge ammunition shortage and the prices are sky high and everything, there's a lot of influencers or YouTubers or you know, pew tubers, whatever the hell the vernacular is for, I guess, people like me. Um, usually they're all, most of them are better shooters than I am, obviously. But, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there to be shared. And even if they're doing the drill live fire, if it involves mechanics and, and presentment and uh, technique and form and everything. That's all stuff you can work on at home in your basement. Honestly, like I've done it right. Tape a target up to a wall, stand on the other side of your basement or, you know, 10 feet away, whatever. If you're using some of these dry fire targets that are scaled down or something like that, you don't, you don't even need that much space to do it. And all it is is just work on your site alignment, smooth, clean site alignment. And then you, you gradually get faster right? And it builds that competence. Your, your, your mind starts to build that connection, that neural pathway that we, you know, we've talked about before and you start building proficiency and competency. Then you start adding in a holster, right? And then, you know, and and there's, there's no shame in it. That's why I really don't understand why as Americans, we have the most guns in the world, yet we also have a society that kind of shuns the usage, the ownership of, you know, pro- and, and, and albeit proper ownership of. Apparently, you put up videos, uh, you know, shooting eight containers of Tannerite in a refrigerator and watch the fireball. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that's effing awesome. Then you watch somebody <clears throat> putting up a video discussing how to use a musical metronome to work on cadence and transition speed. Uh, or, you know, we talk about uh, or rifle transitions or how to clear a malfunction or working with your gun around a vehicle or something. And it's, you know, then you're looked at like, oh, well, look at this freak. He's probably going to go shoot something up or this guy's got some kind of problem, you know, because they're uncomfortable seeing it. And it's not one of those. It seems incredibly stupid to me. If I'm being honest, it seems incredibly stupid that we have that stigma you know, so being responsible, you know, um, and set it, set it like a, like a gym trip, right? Um, my wife and I, we, we commit to, you know, we've recommitted now you go to the, we go to the gym three nights a week. We do our Monday, our Wednesday and our Friday. And then afterwards we'll come home and we have like a good healthy dinner and stuff. And it's, you know, this whole, uh, mission, I guess, or, uh, journey on, on, uh, you know, a healthier us, Um, and, and working out has a lot of obviously benefits and stuff, but same thing with like your dry fire. So for me, knowing that I don't go to the gym on Tuesdays and Thursdays, those are my nights that I plan to either get something done if I have to run out and do it, but also to find the time to dry fire and I'll write it down sometimes, right? I've made lists. Okay. I'm going to do 25 reps of indexing the pistol, right? Just placing the crooks of my hand between my thumb and index finger on the back strap of the pistol. And just practice where that is when it's on my belt or clearing my, if I'm, you know, working on concealment drills, uh, where I'm going to grab my shirt and where I'm going to put, put my, 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 uh, dominant hand. Right. And that actually varies. It's something you have to work on in a couple different ways because the way your shirt moves and pulls, if you're wearing a t-shirt or like a hoodie or something, that's a, a single piece of cloth 
versus a button down where it, it splits at the bottom and how that react that that's all different. So you kind of have to anticipate those things and work on those things. It's also, if you add in things like a jacket that changes too, and you should worry about that because if you, well, if you live anywhere like Michigan, where it gets like, I don't know, a high, I think the high Sunday for the Super Bowl, the high here in Michigan is going to be like a, it's a balmy 18 degrees. So yeah, you bet your ass we wear jackets out here. We also wear gloves. So if you are wearing big, thick gloves and a big, heavy coat, you should plan on practicing your draw stroke and your garment clearing with those things. Now, you know, you can wear thinner gloves. That helps. If you're somebody that cold doesn't bother you, only be outside for a limited amount of time, you know, gloves are optional, whatever. But you wear a jacket wherever you go. Even if you're walking around the mall or the store, you don't take that off when you get to the store. You wear it around with you. That's just that's how it works, right? So that's a consideration. And again, you know, people get goofy messages and goofy comments and weird responses on the internet when they put up videos of it. Uh, or, you know, your friends ask you about it and you're like, yeah, I'm working on this. And it's, it's like, wow, it's freaking goofy. No, it's, you, you know, it's not paranoid either. It's just, it's practical. But if anything in America, we're not always practical, right? We're the, you know, we spend a lot of money on stuff we don't need. And, you know, I, I mean, I shake my head at a lot of that too. You know, oh, why are we spending 300 to $500 on some Nikes that we're never going to touch? I have no idea. I won't do it. You know, not my thing, but you know, I mean, that's somebody else's thing. I'm not going to, you know, shit on their day about it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but I've also asked those people too. Why would you spend that much money on it? Well, it makes me happy. Cool. Good enough answer for me. This makes me happy, you know, but, but you know, that's not always a good enough answer. Uh, but I digress. Um, and then you get, so, you know, you have to consider things like a holster when you buy your firearm. If it's something that you plan on using for any kind of self-defense or, or tactical shooting, whatever, a belt, actually a belt is applicable for, you know, concealed carry a good, um, like heavyweight belt, uh, either a gun belt or some kind of Cobra buckle belt. Um, something that's going to support the weight of a loaded firearm is definitely beneficial, but you know, we've talked before about battle belts, you know, here on the podcast. And I think that, uh, that's something that's, that gets kind of overlooked as well by people that are just getting into the tactical shooting space. They go with like, I know I can tell you what I bought was, um, from Bravo concealment. I bought an outside the waistband holster for my M and P with a TLR one. And then I bought a double magazine pouch, uh, for the M and P. And then I bought a single pouch for an AR mag. And I was, convinced that I didn't need the big old battle belt. I could just run those on my regular leather belt that I was concealed carrying with at the time. Um, well, then I actually tried it and it, that, that really didn't work. Um, you know, and that's why, again, it's always so important. You got, you know, you do the research and figure this stuff out for yourself. Cause it sucks. It's, it's, it's disheartening too. When you realize you just spent all this money on this gear and then you got to go spend more money on a belt because this won't work out. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, there's, you're starting to see more and more better offerings out there in terms of things like, uh, good supportive battle belts. I know, um, Lexi runs one of the, uh, these laser cut, uh, condor belts, right? I think it was like $27 or $25 on Amazon. 
Uh, it's got like removable padding on the inside, laser cut molly webbing, just got a plastic buckle on the front, nothing super crazy high speed, uh, but really comfortable and actually really well made. Trevor has the version of it with the, the Cobra buckle. I think it's around 80 or a hundred dollars. Um, you know, there are budget ways to get into this and not do it the, the absolute wrong way. I think that's as far as I would go with most of the Condor stuff is the belt, at least for now. Um, you know, cause their mag pouch is a little bit outdated. They're not really rigid. They don't make it very easy, uh, to, to get access to them, but they have flaps on them. So if you're, you know, most people likes flaps, cool. But then if that's the kind of kit you have, that's a little bit older, your magazine pouches all have flaps on them. You definitely, you should be practicing getting those magazines out as well. Either if it's a bungee or a, a fabric flap or whatever, you know, practice with that stuff because it's, if it's going to be there when you need it, you have to be able to work around it. Um, same thing like a plate carrier or a chest rig. And that's the stuff that really, I, I don't understand. People trash that too. And it's like, okay, well, this is what I have. Nothing wrong with it. People in the, like people in the military who've actually carried this stuff, um, for hours and days at a time, like Sam, for instance, Sam loves chest rigs. And he's told me as much. He's like, honestly, I would take it over a plate carrier any day. And you're now you're starting to see it become more popular because you can't get chest ri- or uh, you can't get plate carriers anywhere, right? They're out of stock. Feral Concepts, Spiritus Systems. I know T Rex Arms just released theirs. And these are all the ones that are two hundred dollars and under. You can't find them. They can't keep them in stock anywhere because everyone's now all of a sudden very concerned. All these people who you know for years said you don't need that. Or they're a hunter, they won't need that, that's ridiculous. Well, now they're worried because of the state of things in our country, honestly. So now they run out and buy the stuff. Well, then now now all the stuff you can find is like the $500 uh, ultra high speed, super expensive plate carriers from uh, like Cry Precision. Like, well, do you have $500 to spend on that? Because if they're normally $500, right now when they're in demand, you're probably going to be paying closer to 600 me personally, I think I paid $600 for my, my level three plates and my carrier. Just me personally. I feel better about that because I bought, I mean, I bought it before all the crisis and everything that happened. Um, but a chest rig is a good option. You know, it doesn't weigh you down quite as much. They're easier to find. They're definitely cheaper. It's starting to become more popular. Um, and you can fit them under a jacket easier too, which from a concealment perspective is, uh, beneficial obviously again given everything that's going on now i'm not saying you should be carrying that under your jacket and just uh i guess hoping that you have the excuse to use it but it's a lot easier to throw something like that in your car with like a folding ar pistol or you know i mean you got that bougie baller money and you can afford a folding sig uh mcx or something but something to think about right you need to have a way to carry ammo with you, whether it's just throwing it in your back pocket, which isn't always the best option, but sometimes it is the only option or it's a battle belt or it's a plate carrier or it's a chest rig. And I need to practice all of them. Reload drills are huge. Something that I'm finding that I'm struggling with now that I always thought would have been easy to just pick up and, and, and run with was tactical reloads. And I say tack reload, I mean, you know, you pull the trigger five times. So even with a 10 round magazine, you should have five rounds left, six, if you count the one in the chamber, if you're trying to top it off, so you have a full fresh one in the chamber plus 10 rounds, you just drop that magazine and switch it out with one that's, that's full. You don't want to drop that one, right? Cause there's still ammo in it, but the, the speed and the accuracy, the, the, the overall 
efficiency that you can do that with, it, it takes some practice as you're trying to fit two magazines in one hand because the other one obviously is holding the pistol. So that's something that I'm starting to work on and kind of struggling with. And there's some, uh, there's some pretty good videos out there from like Chris Costa, um, showing how you can index them or if they're big magazines that you can't fit them between your fingers, there's a way to like put them, um, base pad to base pad and you kind of you can flip your hand over like a 180 to do it there's all kinds of methods out there and so if you just you know search it out but you can't just watch it and then go yeah i'll i'll get that when i need it i'll understand i'll 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 remember back to this video uh you know that i watched in three years when i finally have to do something like this no you probably won't you'll be thinking about a lot of other things which is why again it's important to train it's important to practice these skills, you know, and people feel goofy when they say, Oh, I'm training with this or I'm, uh, dry firing. And exactly like when I always said to my friends, like, Oh, what are you doing? Like, Oh, I'm, I'm dry firing. And like, of course, all the shooting blanks jokes and like, so everything always goes to a sexual joke with a bunch of guys, obviously. And it goes to the, the goofy nature and it's, it's, it's funny at first, but you know, and then, but they don't take it seriously. And it's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm practicing this. Why you think you're going to go get, you know, get in a gunfight? Like, no, I don't, I don't, but if it happens, I don't want to be the helpless victim, you know? So, so work on that kind of stuff. Um, like I think I mentioned it before, there's great books out there. Uh, dry fire reloaded is one of the ones I picked up from Ben Stoger, who's a competition shooter and not all the competition stuff carries, uh, carries over to the defense shooting world, you know? that's fine. It doesn't really need to, but, um, there's a lot that does talking about reloading on the move or, uh, target transitions and stuff on the move as well as just drills to build your mechanics, right? Because as a competition shooter, it's all about speed and accuracy. Um, not necessarily about, uh, tactics and things like that. I guess, I mean, it could be to an extent, but it's not primarily, um, you know, so it's a good, it, it, it provides a, for those of you that absorb, uh, information through written word easily, it's great. It provides some illustrations. It gives you a proper, um, measurements for how far you should set like your starting point. Like we're, when, when I say starting point, I mean where you're standing, you need to be 10, 15 or 25 feet from the wall that has your scaled down targets on it. So it simulates whatever distance, you know, the math is done for you, which makes it really easy. It also has spaces to keep your par times and track your, uh, you know, how fast or how slow you are at things. Uh, it does all kinds of, you know, different stuff. Uh, but like, like I've said, you know, given the, the ammunition drought that we're in right now, I think dry fire is the best way for the new gun owners out there to start right now, spend the next couple months, just dry firing and practicing with your weapon. Obviously, if you can get some ammo, at least have some around the house for defense purposes, but get yourself in a comfortable place so that when you finally do get the opportunity to get to a range and spend some real time and some real amounts of ammunition, not just a 50 round box, but you can put three, four, five, whatever hundred rounds down range and really, you know, do some work. You're not spending those 500 rounds just getting acquainted with the gun and how to use it and getting comfortable holding it. Because I did it. I suffered through it, right? I, I before I really um, looked into dry firing and started understanding what was going on and stuff, I definitely wasted a lot of ammunition at the gun range. Uh, learning how to shoot my M&P shield, 
which is a terrible choice, by the way. Definitely wish I would have bought the full-size gun sooner and learned how to shoot on that and then transition to something I could carry that was smaller. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know grip. I didn't know how to build the kit. And because I didn't know the proper grip, building consistency of the grip to help build accuracy was a huge problem for me for probably the first year I was shooting. Um, and then I started talking about holsters and drawing from concealment, you know, whether it was an outside the waistband holster or inside the waistband holster, you know, so in a lot of ways, this, you talk about trying to find the silver lining and everything, right? Like, does it suck that you can't find ammo right now? Yes. Does it suck that when you do find that ammo, it's ultra expensive right now? Yes. Where's the silver lining? Well, the silver lining is it forces you to explore alternative options for practice, which can either be being ultra conservative at the range with your round count and there's benefits to that. Um, or it forces you to look into things like dry fire, laser trainers, all that other stuff, uh, that you can build these skills with. I mean, basically you can do anything dry fire other than recoil control. Now recoil control is a big factor, so it's not to be discounted. Um, and this isn't saying that you can dry fire for 10,000 hours and you'll be a master shooter when you go to live fire. What I am saying is that it does build a lot of those skills, and it's something that should be really appreciated and valued for what it is. So just something to think about for all you out there that are buying your first firearm right now or have bought a firearm in the last year, probably since the the COVID crisis, since the pandemic started, and maybe you're... I mean, if you haven't touched it, maybe it's time you do. And if you're one of those people that are sitting out there and you just have maybe, uh, you know, a shotgun for hunting and, you know, a bolt action gun for hunting and that's it, maybe look into buying a, uh, a handgun. You don't need a CPL to own a handgun. I will say it's probably the, the most advantageous choice for home defense, given that it's easier to work around corners, has a much higher ammo capacity, easier to reload, follow-up shots are a lot easier than like a shotgun or something. Um, also, doesn't always have the overpenetration issues, which I feel like is something a lot of new gun owners don't consider. Yeah, I want a 357. I want a 45. I want a 44 Magnum. Okay, well, if you live in an all-siding house with drywall, right, um, and you miss, you're definitely going through your exterior wall and if, and possibly in your neighbor, probably into your neighbor's home. And that's if, while it goes, if it doesn't go through one of your interior walls into, I don't know, a bedroom where there might be somebody innocent, uh, that's all stuff you got to consider. So for handguns, things like 380 and nine millimeter are good options for home defense. Uh, you know, maybe, and you know, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it, but you should at least be proficient with what you have, whether it's a lever action, uh, hunting rifle, a bolt action, hunting rifle, a pump action, shotgun, uh, you know, a revolver revolvers have their, have their merits. Um, I think it's a, a little bit of an antiquated weapons system. However, the reliability can't be argued either. You can't jam a revolver. So, but whatever, but, but whatever you have, be proficient with it, um, you know, and be ready to use it when you have to. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Just don't be one of these people that walks around open carrying a gun and when it you know, really comes down to it, you, you're not worth spit, you know, defending yourself or anyone else. Because then you're just a liability. You're just somebody out there shooting. And whether you mean to be hitting a bad guy, if you can't actually hit that person, you are hitting somebody who's innocent. 
causing problems and, and you're, you're a liability. You're not, you're not a asset, right? And that should be, that's our, that should be our goal, right? As armed American citizens and uh, those that want to hold, our, hold ourselves accountable and take responsibility for our safety and the, and the safety of our family, you know, that's part of the responsibility. So I hope you guys kind of, you know, understand what I'm getting at with this. Uh, and, and it makes some sense too. And I hope that it maybe, you know, at least spurs you to look up, you know, how you can drive fire, what you can do with home defense with what you have. Um, there's some really great videos out there, even shotgun, right? Pump shotgun. There's some awesome videos out there on YouTube about on like Matt, not really master's classes, but just classes on shotgun defense, how to reload faster. And that either if you have a side saddle or maybe you don't, you know, maybe you just got an extra shell hanging out of your mouth. There's, I mean, there's, there's all, it's all kinds of cool stuff in there. And I, I wish I was good enough to, to do some of that, uh, because it's really interesting and involves a lot of thought and mastery of the techniques and everything it's really cool stuff so even if you just own a pump action shotgun uh or revolver maybe you don't own the you know the fanciest of handguns there's still a lot that you can do so uh you know get out there and take a look right train be prepared like we always say it be safe be prepared so hopefully this uh really strikes a nerve with you guys and you kind of understand what i'm getting at uh, you know given what we're what we're potentially facing here could be your last opportunity to go out and grab and uh, grab a gun before we look at another uh, 10-year ban or something or worse you know legislation that doesn't have a uh, sunset clause in it like the last one did that's all i got for you guys this week uh, i hope you're all doing well out there dealing with covid uh getting vaccinated and uh as always stay safe while you're out there and be prepared for whatever comes down the road